this is Blue Meta. Uh, I'm Nick Badeshi, um, CEO, and we have Chris Hardwick with us, who is uh, a tech chair that has multiple groups. And uh, I'll let you introduce yourself and a little bit of a, your background, Chris. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, I mean, as as uh, yeah, I'm 57. I'm uh, originally from Australia. I'm a crazy entrepreneur and adventurer. I love the mountains and traveling around the world. So that's kind of my background. And in business, I owned and ran my own businesses for close to 20 years. And uh, a few years ago, uh, decided to make the transition from running and leading my own businesses as an entrepreneur to really how could I help others and make that transition in my life from being all about me and myself and my own businesses to really how could I help other business owners. So I had been a tech member. Tech stands for the Executive Committee. It's an organization that's been around for 60 years. It's the, probably the oldest and the largest peer mentoring and executive coaching organization in the world. So I joined them as a tech chair and now I lead uh, three tech groups and two trusted advisor groups, and I'm absolutely loving it. Yeah, and um, obviously the transition um, came with some, some benefits as well. I mean, A, you're sharing your experience with everybody else, which is great. Uh, me being like in one of your tech groups, like I see infinite value in this. Um, it really does give entrepreneurs a place where you're having peer-to-peer conversations in a safe environment. And, uh, you know, a lot of business owners just don't get to talk to other business owners at all often, right? Because it's like, how do you, you know, as a business owner, you're busy by definition. When do you have time to talk to other people to see what else they're doing? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of value in different business owners being able to share what works for them or what doesn't work for them. And uh, let's face it, a lot of business owners don't have anyone to talk to. They can talk to their, their, their spouse, they can talk to their mates at the pub, uh, they can talk to their lawyer, they can talk to their accountant, but a lot of the time they don't really have anyone that they can have business-related conversations with, nor do they have the opportunity to get honest and frank feedback and suggestions because a lot of the time uh, most people's advisors have some kind of vested interest in their business and as a result they're not always getting the honest perspective they're getting a bias perspective so yeah yeah, I mean the peer groups that I'm leading really create this opportunity for people to get unbiased feedback and honest opinions so I love it and, and that's really tough to find in these environments as well. Right? Yeah, because everyone's got a motive, right? Everyone's got some kind of, uh, I don't know, I won't say an ulterior motive, but what's in it for me? Like, what can I get out of it? And when you've got other people around the table who have no vested interest in your business, it really makes no difference to them whether you succeed or fail. So as a result, they're going to give you the honest opinion, the honest feedback, right? Yeah. And cool. I mean, the, the, the cool part is, is that um, a lot of people don't see it unless they're in a group like this where the amount of information 
that's transferable between different industries is incredible. Like, it's like, oh, like I did this thing over here with like how I onboarded somebody. It's like, oh, I can do that too. Yeah. Like, you know, it's fully transferable between industries and things that are common practice in some industries and other industries are, they're not common practice at all. Um, well, that, uh, I love that example because that's exactly the situation that we had this morning on our call. And you had the opportunity to share a piece of information, piece of advice or a recommendation around the software that was called uh, Trainial. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the members uh, who's not in your group, but in one of the other groups, uh, had a specific question around onboarding, how to do onboarding effectively. And you were able to come up with a solution that you'd been using in, or in his in your industry, in your business, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's going to work perfectly, right? And so that's, that just goes to show, right, what you're doing in marketing and he's in insurance. I mean, they're two different, completely different industries, yet you've got a, a process that you use that's directly transferable to his world. So, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities for business owners to transfer techniques and tactics uh, between firms, even if they're in different industries. So that's pretty, that's really valuable. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, people, this whole situation in the world right now, um, it's going to force people to communicate more with each other. Um, you know, I think that social interactions are very much spontaneous in, in everyday life. But given the situation today, maybe not so much. So we have to be very purposeful in generating those interactions um, rather than letting them happen organically at this point. Yeah, intentional conversations, I think, are the ones that we need to be having, right? Absolutely. And a lot of the conversations uh, often, you know, if you look back over the last whatever millennial, uh, a lot of the conversations are around, I've got a need. And I need my, I need someone to help me fix the problem like right now, right? It's this matter of urgency. And uh, as a result, the conversations are more driven by this person's got a need and they need to solve that problem. And that's when they go out looking for support and assistance. And so the problem is, is they're only dealing with these uh, matters when they become problematic. There's not a lot of, planning and preparation uh, and especially for people that don't have prior experience in business they actually don't know what they don't know right so it's not until they have a problem that they reach out to help and the good thing about having a conversation with other business owners is you could be listening to one of your peers in in the group who's in a different industry who's sharing a problem and we're processing that issue and you're thinking to yourself, oh, that's really good to hear because that might be a problem that I could have in the future. And I've just got an insight into that without even knowing it was a problem. And so that's a really interesting way of uh, having a conversation around discovering solutions to problems that you don't even have, know that you have. Yeah, and, and opportunities yeah. that you didn't know you had either. I mean, I, I forget when it was maybe at the last tech meeting, but somebody said something and I wrote it down 
And I was like, this is an opportunity. Like they had an opportunity in their end and I forget what it is. Yeah. It's been yeah. a week now. Uh, but I mean, I was like, this is an opportunity for us. And like right away, I like looked into it. I was like, yeah, like this is good. Like let's, let's start doing some of this as well. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it just shines light onto things. Cause I mean, any one person, I mean, I don't care how smart anyone is. Um, your brain only has so much bandwidth to deal with information. And as a business owner or an executive, like the amount of information you come across in a day is incredible. Even with like, you know, some like industries are slowing down, we're actually speeding up yeah. um, simply because of the inf- amount of information that we need to deal with, like with pivoting behaviors and what have you in the market. Um, but even, even on a good day when it's like business as usual, which it's not, you still have a problem processing all that information. Like your brain filters it and you're not listening to things. But when you carve out the time to spend with peers or internally and have those meaningful conversations and those intentional conversations, good things happen, but it's about carving out that time. Yeah. I uh, definitely, as you were starting to talk about regarding COVID-19, it is forcing us to have a different conversation. It's forcing us to really reevaluate our businesses. Um, you know, we were chatting earlier today about how we've been on this bull run for the last, you know, eight or nine years and anybody in business was making money because, you know, we were just in a growing market. We had very low uh, inflation, very low uh, unemployment very low uh, interest payments, money was cheap. I mean, let's face it, if you couldn't be successful in business in the last few years, you were never going to be successful in business, all right? And so now we have this, we fall off the face of the cliff. We've got, you know, we're going into this bear market, this crash. We've got this reduction in uh, the, the crash in the stock market. We've got everybody working from home. We got businesses that are threatening to shut down if they haven't already closed down and sent everybody home and laying everybody off. It's like, Hey, this is a whole new world. And for those that have never been through previous pandemics like H1N1 or SARS, or whether they've been through previous economic crashes, like in 2008 or the dot-com bubble when it burst in the nineties or, you know, nine 11. for those that haven't been through those, um, you know, severe uh, economic or pandemic crisis before, this is all new. So they're reacting to this for the first time and they don't know what the future looks like. So it's a pretty scary time for a lot of people. I love the fact, though, that it's, it's as you, you were saying, it's, it's forcing us to have a different conversation. It's forcing us to, to be... Um, having a communicating with different people that we might not normally communicate with. And it's forcing us to look at our own businesses and re-examine how we do business today and how we need to change the way we're doing business in the future. I believe that those changes that have been made in businesses today, they won't be temporary changes that, you know, for the next month or two until this whole thing turns around. These are going to be permanent changes. And I think if we look at this as an opportunity to reinvent our businesses, not just how do we survive, but how do we reinvent our businesses, 
that's where the real opportunities are going to come uh, to those that are, have that type of mindset, right? Well, and, and to your point, like, you know, will some behaviors revert back to normal? Sure. Like things like, you know, will people go out again and to socialize? Yeah, like they're, they're going to get cabin fever and revert back to those behaviors. Absolutely. But then there's other behaviors that will not, you know, like, for example, like corporations may realize it's like we rent out 15 floors of a major building downtown. Maybe we only need five. Yeah, maybe that office right? building sitting empty at the moment, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if, like if they see this and they are like, "Wait a second, like rent is seven percent of our P and L." It's like that looks a lot like you know seven percent profit. Like maybe, maybe we can cut that in half. Yeah, right? businesses that we're looking at, at least in larger spaces, all of a sudden are looking at the space they have and going, uh, "We only need something half that size now." Yeah, and I mean, uh, to that point, we've always been that way. We always lease out spaces that are smaller than than we need because you know between people working from home and shifts uh between being able to you know teleconference in and or getting quiet time from the home office um you know we've always found that there's no need to maximize the space um for certain industries obviously but beyond the the, the commercial real estate aspect of it um i think that more importantly, consumer behavior elements are going to revert back, but there's some elements that will have changed forever. Um, we just don't know what those things are. Um, I was mentioning to you earlier, Chris, that, you know, we, we do a lot of ad buys for um, companies online and the level of behavior change that we're seeing on a day to day basis is incredible. People are, have completely changed their behaviors of why they're buying something. Some things are still being bought out of habit, but the underlying reasons of why people are buying certain things are, have completely changed. And I don't think they're going to revert back to where they were before. So to your point, this is a huge opportunity for anyone that can analyze and reverse engineer the reasons why people are behaving the way they are to create new offers that people need because there's currently no product for this need that people now have. Um, and there will be winners and losers. And I think whoever is out there right now trying to take care of their customer the best way they can and figuring out what their new needs are given this new reality, uh, those are the companies that are going to surge ahead. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely agree, Nick. It's about really looking at, uh, you say, sort of re-engineer or reverse engineer their businesses. A lot of business owners don't actually understand uh, how they make money. <laughs> so, you know, a big part of it is, okay, what actually makes us successful? Why do our clients continue to pick up the phone or send us purchase orders or, you know, utilize our services? Uh, is it out of necessity? Is it out of habit? Uh, is it out of need? Like, like, what's the reason? And so I do think it is important to reverse engineer and understand how our businesses function, why our businesses function, why they are successful, why they aren't successful, and really look at the times and how they're changing today 
and how what are these businesses going to look like three, six, nine, 12 months from now? And what's going to be the driver? And, and that's like, I like that idea around reverse engineering because you do have to work backwards, right? Because if, if, so what's our business potentially going to look like in six or nine or 12 months? And if that's what it might look like, then what are we going to do now in order to make sure that's where we end up? Now more than ever, marketing and sales teams need to work with finance and operations. Um, marketing, if they're doing their job right, should be looking at what their target audience and their customers' behaviors are and seeing those changes and then communicating that to operations and finance to say like, look, like what matters to our clients is changing and we need to pivot our product and or service or whatever it is today or at least start thinking about it because if we don't, somebody else will fulfill these newly acquired needs that our customers have. And that's a problem for us. Yeah. I think the biggest problem with marketing historically is for most businesses, it's, you know, they're doing their budget on an annual basis and they're like, okay, we got this, we got this, we got this. Oh, look, we got a few dollars left over. Well, let's spend that on marketing. So it's, it's not been treated as a strategic line item as a part of the overall strategy for the company. And so it's often getting dealt with as an afterthought. And the problem is, is that the companies that are doing that end up spending so much more money on their sales teams because there is no such thing as income in uh, leads, right? So everything is outgoing. There's no strategy around that. Oh, hire more salespeople. That's not a strategic decision. That's a reactionary decision to thinking, oh, if I've got more salespeople running around on the road, then I'm going to make, you know, increase my revenue. Well, well, really, if we're doing our job as marketers, the only salespeople should be people that are sitting there just taking orders, right? It should be, it should all be income in sales. So there's a huge gap in most businesses between outgoing sales and incoming sales. And what's the difference? Lack of marketing. So now more than ever, as people are slashing their marketing budgets, which in a lot of cases were already non-existent or very small, here's the opportunity to really be investing in a marketing strategy to target in who your client is going to be in the future and laying the groundwork for building a clear strategic marketing plan so that you are already there by the time your clients realize that's where they need to get to, right? So that's that reverse engineering piece, right? Right now, marketing teams should be on high alert um, because the changes, like if, if, if their measurement systems are what they need to be to detect the change in, in, in customer behavior, which even small businesses can do based on the technology that's out there today, um, you, like you need to get ahead of this and figure out where the client's going in terms of their needs and communicate that back. 
if you don't, it's going to be bad for everybody. And this is where what happens to your point, Chris, people slash marketing, because marketing is like, oh, those guys just like run a bunch of ads. Yeah. But really, they're the mechanism that has to feel out and understand the customers and why they buy and what the needs of that customer is that we fulfill as a company. And at the end of the day, that's all you really have. Um, what I have seen in, in the recent past is that the burden of that in smaller companies really falls on either the CEO or owner. They have to figure out what their customer is buying and how to serve the customer back. Right? Like, but really, you know, and that, and that's the reality in smaller company, but in bigger companies, that's the reality for the CMO, like the chief marketing officer or VP of marketing has to figure out what the clients want and how to serve them better before the client even knows what they want and then create the product that you're capable of doing internally to serve that client better, right? I'm just gonna pause for one sec there. I just wanna try these earphones. Um, so I feel like we might be getting a little bit of feedback. I'm, mute, I'm muting myself between when you're speaking, just so you know. Okay, so I'm just gonna put these on. Uh, is the sound pickup okay? I think it was fine. Before, all right. Uh, I will take them off. We we can just pick up. Um, uh, so, Chris, like you, as you've been on your point around that, uh, right? With respect to a uh, a CMO, right? So, yeah. I mean, most SMBs probably don't have chief marketing officers. That's more of a larger firm. Even in the larger firms where there is a CMO in place, how often are you talked about the CMO understanding what the client's needs are or the customer's needs are, but that's with existing customers and clients. How about all of the prospects out there? How about the ones that are not, are not clients yet or customers of that company? And then even before that, is, is there a strategic plan that the CMO knows is his response, his or her responsibility to implement? Or is this person really just winging it? So you go back to the uh, SMB, whether it's the uh, CEO or the owner or the ops manager uh, who is taking point on marketing and sales activities, do they really know what the heck they're doing? Do they know what, you know, where they should be going? Are they doing the market research? Do they actually have any understanding of what those prospective clients' needs are? Is the is the conversation even taking place? Often it isn't. Yeah. I mean, like I, I can tell you firsthand, working with a number of businesses over the years, um, generally well-tracked marketing initiatives pick up customer behavior discrepancies faster than people are picking them up when they're talking to the person directly to their face. And I don't really understand why that is. Maybe it's because people fall into patterns when they're speaking to each other in certain roles. Uh, whereas the data, the incoming data from marketing, it doesn't care about
it's not. difficult for people to be a hundred percent you know have almost like this third party view over top of themselves and be that objective at all times i don't think that's necessarily real for people but that's marketing's job marketing's job is to figure out are we serving the clients the best way possible are there niches that we could serve better and or that we don't serve at all right now and what's the opportunity in the marketplace but to your point chris that falls often to the CEO or owner in SMBs. Um, but these people also don't have the access to data that a good marketer does. So they can't usually corroborate like their feelings with anything tangible. Um, as a quick example, the last three strategy presentations that we've done for clients, we said, we looked at, we basically data mined everything that we could for them. And we said, These, this, this is the opportunities that present themselves and here's some of the issues that we currently see. And nine times out of 10, a, an owner or like a VP will say, I thought that, that was the case, but I didn't know. And they had never spoken up about it at the leadership table because they, they said like, look, it was a feeling that I had, but I had nothing to corroborate my feeling in tangible data. So I couldn't quantify it, so I'd never spoke up about it, but people generally have a good sense of things, but it's not enough to have a good sense of things. You also need like the, the, the cold hard facts and most people don't have the systems in place to get the cold hard facts back from their sales and marketing teams. Well, I think that uh, that's the difference between winging it, right? <laughs> Just guessing, oh, I think I know what it is, but on the basis of what? What tangible facts and information do you have? I mean, most of the time, whether it's a business owner or whether it's part of the sales and marketing team, let's face it, they really, they really don't know. They're just winging it. Uh, well, this is the way we've done it for the last 10, 20 years. That's the way we do it. Well, why do you do it like that? Oh, I don't know. Well, have you considered this or have you considered that? Uh, no. Why not? Like, who's having the conversation? Who's challenging the status quo? Who's exploring the opportunities to discover uh, Uh, new ways of doing things or innovative ways of doing things or, or maybe they're not positioning yourself in such a way that the messaging that is being delivered is what they need to hear and what they want to hear yeah. I, I personally always pair up sales and marketing under the same breath for a simple reason if you're not doing marketing guess who's doing the marketing the salespeople right Absolutely. Cold, calling, knocking on doors, calling people cold, uh, trying to get referrals in from friends. I mean, that's marketing in a nutshell. It's like, hey, you know this guy at this company? Hey, can you give me an intro? It's like, that's literally marketing. It's just done in a very, very expensive and non-scalable way. Well, because there is no marketing in most cases. Yeah. I mean, the sales teams 
like you say, uh, marketing in the absence of, but to get your sales teams to do the marketing work. Yeah, and I think that there's not a clear understanding that sales is doing marketing. Um, I can give you a quick example, and I'll omit the company name, but um, there was this company, and they had you know a team of. 12 salespeople. So they were a large company and, you know, we did the math on it. It's like, look, like to have a technical sales representative on, on the road with car gas, like commissions, base salary, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, costs $125,000 a year, all said and done. Right. It's like, we reduced the number of technical sales reps from 12 to nine um, hired an internal person to basically do all the CRM for the other nine and then took the other two and pumped all of that into marketing um, and including one internal person that their entire life's work was basically finding leads online and triaging them back into the salespeople. We increased the sales targets of every single salesperson by 40%. Oh, because fantastic. now they had the time. And they had the support and they were getting fed leads yep. and they were, and they were, and they, before they were struggling to hit targets and now they're crushing targets. Right. Because now they didn't have to do their own marketing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything that we can be doing to uh, improve the marketing efforts to increase the effectiveness of the sales team is going to be a winner every day of the week. So you and I are both drinking the same Kool-Aid, Nick. Well, uh, the challenge I, here is how do, we, uh, how do we move the needle for a lot of the other business owners out there that don't uh, realize the value of the marketing piece. It's really missing from a lot of their budgets. It's missing from their spend. And now with this current pandemic, um, you know, most of them, if they were doing any marketing efforts, they've slashed them because they see that as a low hanging fruit, easy to cut. So the, the question here or the opportunity is around how do we move the needle on these decision makers so they recognize that now more than ever, they need to be shifting the focus. And even if they want to take it out of this, sales budget they really need to be shifting it over to marketing so they can get ahead they can get in front of their prospective customers and their prospective clients and they can be uh, telling the story about the value proposition that the company has to offer so that those sales teams can be more effective so what do you think uh, are the necessary steps that we need to be taking? to? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess I'll back it up to like a, a key point that you mentioned there. It's like, well, people usually look to marketing first to cut costs. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say, and this might be somewhat controversial, I'm like, it's literally the marketer's fault, in my opinion. Like, look, I don't think it's the CFO's fault if they're cutting things that they are like, there's no tangible proof that this works. Therefore, I'm, I'm cutting it. That's literally their job. They have a fiduciary responsibility to do what's in the best interest of the company. And they, they're not gamblers. Like, 
And that's why you hire those people. That's why you hire a controller, VP finance or CFO. That's their job. They don't gamble. They make well calculated decisions. Marketers in the past five years have had the technological capability to prove to their CFO or VP of finance that their marketing works, but they have not put in the systems in place required to do so. And that is their own fault. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to defend the poor marketing sides out there for the moment. And, and just on this one point, Nick, is, is that I think, unfortunately, there is a lot of business owners out there. And I don't think this is something that's just restricted only to the SMBs. I think there is a lot of people out there that are running businesses and often they're doing all the marketing and sales themselves, okay? And then as the businesses grow, the risk profile of these companies tends to change. And not only does the risk profile change, but now they've got employees out there doing a job, maybe don't have the same amount of passion that the business owner had when the business owner was out there doing the marketing and sales and the business development activities. And as these businesses continue to grow, um, what happens is they tend to get a little, little more controlled by the account side of the organization. And so the finance team now is all of a sudden looking at everything from a, uh, you know, an ROI perspective. Well, we spend this money and we get this back in return. And so sales is always a lot easier to forecast. Oh, I add another salesperson, I get another, you know, X amount of dollars a month. It's always The revenue quite as easy as that organization. So, you know, I, I accept the fact that the marketers themselves could probably be doing a better case of defending their position and their value. But I do believe there is a bit of a, there's a missing piece in there around the knowledge and, and understanding of the decision makers in these organizations of the value. Yeah. So that's one of the things that falls down. I definitely agree with that. Um, I, I think my point is, you know, about 10 years ago, what I'm talking about didn't exist. Like the technology, like unless you were enterprise in size, like, so, I mean, then you're ignoring SMBs completely. Um, unless you were an enterprise in size 10 years ago, you couldn't measure your results as a marketer. But today you can, um, you know, and if, if it's an SMB where the owner is still kind of a salesperson slash marketer, um, you know, there's no blame to be had on them because I mean, running a business is tough enough and you have probably like 20 skill sets, um, there within one person. Um, but when it comes to, if you've hired like a, a, a marketing manager, like marketing director kind of level person where they're your head of marketing internally, um, you know, I, I get asked this question a lot by marketing managers that are going to a new job. And they're like, what's the first thing I should do? I'm like, sit down with your CFO or VP finance, whoever's in charge of finance, first person you go talk to because ultimately they control your budget unless you have data. 
And what you need to go do is you need to go sit with them and say like, look, how can we tie our systems together between marketing all the way to finance so that I can prove to you that what I'm about to do works. And it's a collaboration. Like when, when we talk to our clients, the first, like if somebody asks, who should we bring to this meeting, to this first meeting, it's like, bring your CFO. Because we know they have a fiduciary responsibility to do what's in the company's best interest. And if we put together a system where we can measure everything back and you give us X dollars and we give you Y revenue, they have no choice but to keep giving us that money. You know, uh, Nick, what you're talking about in terms of the ability to measure ROI on marketing spend is absolutely crucial. However, I would uh, point out that there's not too many marketing firms out there that would actually know how to do that, whether the technology is available or not. And so there's another breakdown in the industry as a whole is that most marketers, you know, they think that marketing is all about having a good, you know, Facebook account or having a good uh, Instagram account or they, you know, maybe maybe they're doing some blogging or something like that or they, they've heard this terminology around SEO and SEM. But, you know, one of the things that, that I see a lot is, is that there's not a lot of marketing firms that are really approaching marketing with a holistic view they're really just carving out a couple of pieces and as a result they're not capturing the entire opportunity so that's i see that as a big breakdown and then as i said that the the thing around measuring return on investment most people aren't doing that and don't know how to do that so that's a massive breakdown in the caliber and the quality of the marketing operations and organizations that are out there and the reason I brought it to measurability, Chris, is because, you know, cutting marketing costs sometimes is the right thing to do. But cutting wisely is what needs to be done. It can't be like an omnibus, like, hey, we're slashing the marketing budget in half because, I don't know, like, that's the way it rolled. It's more about do the data deep dive, figure out what's working and what's not working, cut the things that are not working, and then re, like, and either save that money from the, cutting the activities that are not working and if you can instead of cutting it reinvest it back into the things that are working and you're going to be better off than you were before that's really what it comes down to um and as we talked about earlier today you know because of the the market people have gotten a little bit lazy like there's a bit of complacency things aren't running as efficiently as they otherwise could be like it's just kind of the reality of where where we're at um and Now's the time to audit and deep dive what is working and what's not, putting these systems into place so that you can cut costs if you absolutely have to in an intelligent way where it won't damage your future or, or even today for that matter. Well, I think that the opportunity that exists today is to cut the non-essential expenses, right? Cut the, cut the rent or defer the rent, you know, Cut the vehicle costs, uh, cut the owner's salaries, uh, you know, uh, look at how we take those funds and we redirect those funds so that we can be putting them into more effective locations today. And marketing spend is not one of the places to do that. 
here's the opportunity to grow the marketing, here's the opportunity to continue to develop your personnel, to do some you know, leadership development and multi-skilling and job sharing. There's all kinds of other things that we can be doing. But unfortunately, a lot of companies, the first thing they do, slash the budget, cut the non-essential stuff, we'll worry about it later, and it's just really the wrong approach to take. So that being said, like, you know, you've been through a recession or two or, or a large event uh, in the past. Like, what's your take on, on the current situation? Because one of the things that I always go back to that you said recently was like, look, this too will pass. It's just a matter of time. So, but, but you know, when you're in it, it feels as though this is it. Like, you know, but it, that's not reality. How we feel about reality versus what it really is is two different things. Yeah, you know, the stock market's a classic, right? I've never been a big investor in it because uh, I accept the fact that uh, I have no ability to control it. But, I mean, let's look at the average stock market investor. Uh, they buy when things are going up. You know, generally they're buying at the peak and they're selling when things are going down, right? They're doing the opposite of what they should be doing. But psychologically, trying to get people to buy when things are really bad, <laughs> buy at the bottom and sell at the top. Like everyone's always buying on the way down and selling on the way up. Like it's just, it just seems to be backwards, right? Um, I think that business is uh, a lot like that. Is, is that we fall into the trap of doing the things that appear to be the most obvious, but unfortunately, uh, they're, you know, they're not the most intuitive decisions. And so when we look at the current uh, market that we're going through at the moment, yeah, everything's going for a shit. I get it. Um, people are been shut down, they've been forced to close, they're laying people off, uh, and it's like the world's coming to an end and everyone's going to die of, um, you know, COVID-19. And, and it's just, and, and the reality is that's not the reality. The reality is, is, is that this is another pandemic. We have these pandemics. There was five major pandemics in the last hundred years. And millions and millions of people have died in these pandemics. I hate to say it, but they're a fact of life. And so, um, you know, this one comes along. Everyone knew this one was coming. We've known about it for months. And now here we are going, oh, you know, well, guys, this was coming. So uh, what's amazing is the, the overreaction to a lot of the things. We know what we need to do. We need to stay safe. We need to keep people at home. We need to, you know, wash our hands, social distancing. Like there's all the things that we need that we need to do. We know we need to do these things, right? So let's do those. Okay, now we're doing that, our people are safe. Now let's figure out how we can continue to operate the business. What are the things that we can do to continue to function? to stay in business. And then, okay, we got those things happening. Now let's start having the conversation about what are the other opportunities out there? Now we've done a bit of a pivot on our business. Here, sorry, 
But now that we've got everybody set, the opportunity is to explore a pivot for the business. And so how can we now redirect our business in another way so that we can continue to function during these difficult times, but we can actually turn this into an opportunity to pivot our business so that we can explore new opportunities and new ways of doing business. So we actually grow during these times, not shrink. And that's the conversation that unfortunately most people aren't having because they're scared. And when people are scared, they don't think with this part of their brain. They're not using their prefrontal cortex, all right? They're using their lizard brain. They're using their primal brain. And when people are scared, they don't think properly about things and they react and they get threatened and they don't make good decisions. So this is a biochemical thing that's going on in our bodies and most don't understand the way their own brains and their own bodies work. So they don't understand that they should be having a counterintuitive conversation. And so, you know, what's going to happen? We're going to get through this, you know. Yes, there will be some people die and unfortunately a lot of them will be elderly people or people who have already immune deficiencies. Uh, and there's nothing you or I are going to be able to do about that. Uh, but life is going to go on. We're going to get through this. Uh, we've got hundreds and hundreds of laboratories around the world that are working together to come up with vaccines. We're already able to leverage off the development that was done with SARS and H1N1. We're a lot further ahead. The collaboration through the uh, accessibility of information around the world today compared to back in 2009 is already so much further along. We're going to get through this and we're, you know, we're all going to be, I hate to say it, uh, those of us that are still around are going to be stronger for it because we are going to learn how to adapt and we're going to learn how to deal with a pandemic. And we're going to change the way we lead and run our businesses forever. And our people are going to learn how to make fundamental changes in the way they live. Just like we are now adapting by instead of getting together and sitting across the table from one another, we're having a conversation over Zoom. We're adapting. But we keep going, right? We're going to get through this. Everything's going to be okay, people. Don't so, panic. So from your perspective then, Chris, um, you know, you said, well, you know, people are scared. What can people, what are the questions then people can ask themselves to maybe center themselves or anchor themselves to reality rather than having this like panic reflex? Well, stop watching the news. Seriously. Uh, you know, I check the news once a day, uh, and that's it, you know, and I only look for the highlights, I skim across them. I recognize that everything I'm getting bombarded with has some element of truth and some element of falsehood associated with it. So a lot, there's a, a lot of people are spending way too much time glued to their TV screens, glued to the social media. And there's this pandemonium and panic and fear mongering that's taking place. So start disconnecting from it 
because it's not going to help you. It's just not going to help you at all. All you can do is what you can do, right? So like if you're taking appropriate measures, keeping yourself and others safe, it's like, what, what more can you really do? And then it's out of your hands. Um, there's this, uh, there's this woman that I follow on Instagram um, for HR advice. Her name's Cy Wakeman. And she posted this great video, which was, you know, all your stress and anxiety today stems from the fact that you believe that you're losing control. She's like, the interesting thing is that it's not that you're losing control, is that you're losing the notion that you had any control at any point at all. Because control is an illusion. You just think you have it. It's a bit like the weather, okay? Uh, people, oh, I've got a, I don't know, a barbecue plan for the weekend or a wedding plan for the weekend or something. And the forecast is for rain. Okay, well, you can lie awake at night stressing about this, or you can go online and order a tent. <laughs> you can do something about it, all right? You can't stop it from raining, but you can take precautionary measures to not spoil the event, all right? So it's the same thing in business. It's the same thing in our lives. We know we need to keep people safe. We know we need to practice social distancing. We know we need to continue to operate businesses so we don't have a global economic crash because it will be a lot harder for everybody to recover from that. So we just need to focus on how do we keep businesses going? How do we allow people to thrive, not just survive? But we do it in a way that everybody stays safe. That's the key. Stay safe. Keep going. It's going to blow over. Get on with it. Yeah, I mean, I think that really says it. I mean, I think that's that's a good point to end on, on the high note. It's like we're all going to get through this, and as long as we do what's in each other's best interest as much as we can, then it's going to be okay. Yeah. Stay safe. Keep on trucking. <laughs>